Welcome to Reframe and Reset Your Career, a career development podcast to help if you're looking for a job, feeling stuck in your career, looking to change your perspective, or just rediscover your why. I'm your host, Harsha Borolesa, and this podcast came about from my passion for neuroscience and psychology and their interaction with career and personal development. In each episode, I will be interviewing recognized experts and successful professionals and asking them about their career journey, their real life experiences, and to share the insights and strategies that have helped their careers thrive. Implementing change is not easy and does take time, but I do hope that their stories will inspire you to take a fresh look at your career and assist you on your path to a more successful and fulfilling career. Here are some highlights of today's episode. There was no plan, no, no clients, no revenue, but actually I felt super excited. It's just a question of keeping on pushing yourself and keeping on trying to learn, really. Motivation is so important. You've got to feel excited. You're not the finished article. Nobody ever is when they, when they join a company. So sometimes you have to learn to move on and accept that you made a small mistake, Thank you so much for joining me today on the Reframe and Reset Your Career podcast. I'm delighted to welcome Chris Bailey. Hi, Chris. How are you? Yeah, very well. Thanks, Harsha. Hope you're well yourself. No, no. Very good. Thanks, Chris. And thanks so much for taking the time to join me today. Chris is the founder of Financial Orbit, a research and investment consulting firm. He has 25 years of investment industry experience at long-only and long-short institutions as a global multi-asset fund manager, strategist slash macro thinker, and in the early parts of his career as a securities and fund analyst. He strongly believes in the importance of the fusion of top-down and bottom-up analysis, taking a view that an understanding of both aspects is the only way to get a full view of global opportunities. Prior to founding Financial Orbit, Chris worked for a London-based fund management group and head of the team for a range of globally directly invested mutual funds, personally running the growth, balance, and conservative funds, collectively around $2 billion of assets, all of which were either first or second quartile against their respective pay groups from inception in 2010 to the end of 2012. In the four years prior to this, for the same fund management company, he managed global thematic equity and European equity funds that also outperformed their benchmarks. Welcome, Chris. <laughs> Thanks so much. My goodness, I'd, I'd almost forgotten half of those numbers, but yeah, I think, I think you said it about right, Harsha. Oh, that's great. And, and, and that's an interesting point you make there, Chris, because I think so many of us, forget about what we've done in our careers. And, and I'm not saying that you should be looking at your LinkedIn profile or your CV every day, but I think it's quite nice to look at it you know, once in a while, especially if you're feeling a bit down. It's quite nice just to go over just the highlights, not in a narcissistic way, but just to, just to remind yourself that you, you have done some interesting things. Yeah, I would completely agree. I mean, life should be about new challenges always, but often it's nice to say, what have I achieved? What, what, what have I done well? What I've done a little bit poorly or could look to improve at some future time? You know, what's been my highlights for the last 5, 10, 25 plus years for me? Um, it's an important thing to do. You've always got to look a little bit backwards, 
and quite a lot forwards. That, that's my philosophy in any case. I like to start podcasts off with a quote. Do you have anything you'd like to share with our listeners today? I'm just going to choose something from Peter Lynch. Now, Peter Lynch is a famous fund manager who's even older than me, so around a long time ago. But he was a huge inspiration for me. And I remember when I was at university, I came across his book, uh, One Up on Wall Street, and it absolutely blew my mind. It was my favourite book and still remains an absolute you know, huge favourite for me. So I was trying to work out which of his quotes I like the best. And there's always loads of them. So frankly, you could read the book and come across a hundred ones even better than this one, no doubt. But the one I was thinking about was you should always think about what you own and why you own it. And I think that's so important for anything, particularly in the investment world, of course, but generally in life. You know, you think about why you're doing something and what are the real reasons why you're doing it? Not just that you own it or that you a targeting it or whatever it might be, but actually what are the underlying reasons for doing something? What's the rationale there? It's not just, you know, you want to make money or you want to be famous or whatever it might be. There's an underlying reason for it. And that's so important in life. You've got to look a little bit more, a little bit deeper, a little bit more broadly about, you know, what motivates you about something. Because let's face it, for anything in life, be it jobs, be it just living generally, family, whatever it might be, You've got to be a medium term person. It can't just be this is going to make me money today. Therefore, I've got to focus on it. It's got to be a bit more what's going to drive me for tomorrow, next year, next decade, whatever it might be. That's a great quote, Chris. And, and what I love you know, uh, talking to you um, is that your enthusiasm for investing, um, because for you, I think it's more than just a job or something that you do to make money. I just love the passion and the interest. And it's funny, before um, uh, recording today, I was listening to one of your podcasts with our mutual friend, uh, P- Peter Higgins. Yeah. And you really, the way you were describing investing was was quite uh, inspirational in a way. But I, I, and actually following on from that, how, how did you become uh, interested in investing? And also, why do you find it so inter- interesting? Because I think for some people, they're almost scared uh, to sort of drill down and look look at it. But I think for you, uh, the, the, the way I see it is that you almost look at it as a puzzle or, or research, almost like a detective story. But you could describe it much better than I can, Chris. Yeah, no, no that, that's absolutely right. To tell you the honest truth, the reason I got first motivated on, on it, I blame it all on breakfast TV. This is a genuine story. Back in the, in the 1980s, I was growing up. I was a, a teenager. And I came across Breakfast TV and they started talking about this thing called the stock market and other things related with that. And I don't know, it just seemed interesting. So I got my my parents' uh, newspaper and I'd find it in there and have a quick look at it. And it just kind of grew from there. And so by the time I got to do my A-levels, of course, I wanted to do economics. And I seemed to enjoy that. It was very interesting. There was lots of things to learn. And I did ultimately an economics undergraduate degree and was lucky enough to do a, a postgrad as well in finance and investment. And at each stage, it was like, wow, there is so much to learn. So many interesting things happening out there. It was actually, to be honest, and still is, absolutely nothing about earning gazillions of money because it's frankly never been anywhere near that. But I think the great advantage of coming from a mainstream, ordinary kind of background is that money per se is not my big driver as you say what's my real driver is enthusiasm and interest and learning stuff and that remains the case today you know that's why i'm still i still love the investment space because that that sort of feeling i had when i was 13 or 14 that wow this is actually quite interesting what can i i'm learning something here 
that, that still drives me today and it's still a big, big motivator. So that's how it started. I blame Breakfast TV. But I like that point you make, Chris, about learning. And I think, obviously, we all need to earn money and we have to pay the bills. But I think this idea of learning is so important because if you can take that forward in your life, and I suppose these days things are changing very rapidly, and in a way you have to have a learning mindset and be adaptable. But I think in any job or activity you're doing, if you're learning all the time, then you're upskilling, you're sort of separating yourself from the crowd. Is that how you view it? Yeah, absolutely. Because... Let's face it, none of us is an absolute genius. We're never going to be the best at anything. Um, and we should never probably ever, ever aim to be that because, frankly, you're going to be disappointed. What you should be looking to do is feel enthusiastic, learn something new. Yes, nice to earn some money, but even better to actually build your knowledge, build your insight on the world and actually keep yourself highly motivated. Because let's face it, if you get bored going to work, or go into your job or whatever your, your you know your, your setup might be, then I'd be worried because you know, whilst at the age of 22, you might be, I you know, I need to earn some money in order to buy a house. By the time you still have that same kind of motivation, that's the only reason why I'm going at the age of 32 or 42 or 52, then you've done something wrong. You've got to be excited about what you're doing. So that that's my my perception. Always try and learn more for yourself because ultimately. That's what's going to drive. That's, one of, that's, what's, that's what's going to keep you going there, excited and, and sort of enthusiastic about it. It's not about just earning money. Um, and if it was, then you'll come to that point where you don't want to be, be part of it. Another thing that I find interesting about investing is the whole idea of, of psychology and almost having to overcome the inherent biases that we as human beings have and trying to think in a counterintuitive way, which is different from the herd. Do you just want to touch on that, Chris? Yeah, no, that, that's absolutely true. I mean, the thing about investment markets is that in theory, um, you could follow very rational viewing. And if something is getting bigger or, or, or more important, earning more money, whatever it might be, then it, it should be a, a great place to invest into or whatever it might be. And the reverse, obviously, if it's going the other way, the same with the economy, the same with anything in the investment world. But here's the thing. The trouble is, is that you have to really look at what's already anticipated into something. That, that's the reality of life. And certainly for the financial markets where a company or a, an economy, everything may already be factored in. And it's all about what's going to happen at the next stage, what isn't factored in. And you're right that when you look at the world of investments, particularly, it, it seems to be factored in so quickly. And so consequently, you get to that point where people are looking forward one or two years already. And so actually what you've got to do is probably look forward a little bit further than that or try and work out what people have already anticipated, whether that's radical, that's rational or irrational. And so, yes, you're right. When something's already highly factored in, then actually it's far more valuable to look at the alternatives and say, well, is it actually going to not be as good as people are thinking and consequently take a different view on a share or a company or an economy or whatever it might be? So that's the, always the key with investments. You've got to look medium to longer term, and that might be only six or 15 months ahead, but that's much more important than what's happening today or tomorrow. Uh, at least that's my view. No, I think that that's a great point. And it's almost as if you're trying to look at the reality, what is actually going on uh, and the perception by, by the market, and then try and work out, is there 
a, a divergence or as you're saying is it all factored in and then your things like you know Daniel Kahneman the you know his his great book I think that's really interesting the whole idea of you know looking at you know, how our brains work trying to um, manage ourselves in a way and I think to be a good investor you have to have those skills that self management to some extent is is that correct Chris no, that's absolutely right I mean you've got to think both both shorter term and longer term but you've got to think you know um slower and fast as well you know to try, <laughs> to try and think about it in that way and that's absolutely true and I learned a lot reading that book I mean it's a brilliant and interesting book really is and whenever you look at something like that you realize yourself and certainly it was a big motivation for me at different parts of my career where I've realized that actually yeah you've got to sort of change a few things in order to learn a bit more and that that's been an important part of certainly my last 30 plus years I would say if I include my university education as well so you know that's that's always important you can't have a fixed plan which is the only way you're going to be you know when you're a certain age this is my plan this is what I'm going to achieve and that's going to be focused and set for the next 50 years or something it's not like that the reality is it's far better to have a, a series of shorter plans where you're trying to achieve something and then move on to a new challenge the next level whatever it might be and that's not just earning money or you know more importance in a particular job finance whatever it might be that may be something far wider family life um travel um learning about something completely different doing something completely different you've got to keep a lot of different stuff going i think in in life generally the finance world is fascinating to me but it's not the only thing i'm interested in thank goodness i'd be more worried if it was but what i what i do observe is that yeah my my complete obsession with it in terms of when I am looking at it, when I am trying to think about it, it's still something that keeps me motivated even now. Yeah, and, and hoping Arsenal can, can come back to being a decent football team as well. <laughs> well, it was funny. I was watching the, um, the, there was a great series about the start of the Premier League. It was, it was a fascinating series. And, and the last one, it was a four-part programme. And the last programme was, of course, the one where Arsene Wenger became the Arsenal manager. <laughs> And it was what was fascinating was that even back then you could see the difference of his style and how that ultimately did impact something very different from the financial world, the premiership world and football world. The fact that his style of learning and his style of management was completely different from real experts for that, that being there previously. People have done uh, marvellous jobs beforehand and that's the same in life as well. So yes, even from football, we can all learn that, or football can learn from us and we can learn from football. That, that's the real, the real key to life. We've got to have a slightly broader range um, of, of views and insights. It can't just be, I like finance, therefore I'm going to read the Financial Times and I'm going to look at Bloomberg and do this and that, all great stuff. But sometimes learning from football management um, techniques and, and whatever else can actually be useful for finance and vice versa, as Arsene Wenger or um uh, alex ferguson will will attest no totally and I, I i love that point that you make about learning from other areas because i think sometimes uh in, in finance you can be too sort of focused and you end up having maybe a, a group think perhaps some of the investing disasters or finance disasters that have happened in the past is that when you have a, a dominant person everybody is quite loath to disagreeing with them so I think having different viewpoints is a, a, a good thing in life uh, and in work. 
Yeah, absolutely. Groupthink is the most, one of the most dangerous things out there, I think, because the trouble is we've all been in a situation where it's um, bosses are saying one thing or contemporaries or peers or the newspapers, radio, whatever it might be, multiple sources out there are all saying the same thing. And you're thinking, well, hang on, maybe it's going to be a little bit different. And this is why certainly when um, you look at films like The Big Short, which is a famous film, a brilliant film to watch, not just for finance geeks, but for, for everyone, I would say, because The Big Short was talking about the volatility of particularly the US, but global markets also in kind of the 2007 to 9 period and the reasons for that and everything else. And the group think that you could see there and certainly I, I saw as well, I remember the time and the evolution of different people's thoughts and everything else. But that was a, it's a brilliant film and a brilliant insight into the sort of the, the need to sometimes look, as, as they say in that film, you know, the different thing that they did was they looked at stuff, in that case, the US housing market and the fact that it was a bit crazy there in terms of prices and interest and everything else, um, which many investors, big investors, well-known investors, uh, you know, were not doing. And that's the same in life generally, to be looking at something to try to feel not just enthusiastic about it, but thoughtful about it and actually saying, well, hang on, am, am I thinking right here? Do I have to look at something a bit differently? Do I have to reappraise something? That's just as important. And I can tell you, having 25 years investment management experience doesn't make you a genius. In fact, um, I often think that the people who are, are the real geniuses, the ones that don't realise it because they don't think that they've got some kind of ability at something. It's just that they keep on working, keep on improving, and they unsurprisingly get a good payoff on that. They get, they get good build, good insights and good kind of skills at it just through hard work and a bit of luck and, yes, a bit of thoughtful thinking. I, I think that's a great point you make, Chris, about putting the, the work in and the grind. And I think... You know, there's this debate about should you follow your passion? Should you follow what you're good at? Um, and, you know, obviously people can take different views. But I do think that if you're prepared to work hard at something, you will become good at it. And then you'll eventually, well, even if you don't start off enjoying it, you will enjoy it because it's that whole idea of um, becoming uh, masterful, uh, gaining a level of mastery. And then it's almost as if uh, you, you have this sort of Jedi mindset that, um, you look at a problem, and, and, it's, and this ties back, I think, with Kahneman, that um, you know, th there are some problems you'll see, okay, this is similar to what I've seen before, therefore I can you know, just uh, solve it without thinking too much. But I think the really skillful people can look at a problem and say, ah, this is something that I haven't come across. I can't just go on autopilot. I really have to think about this uh, properly. Um, what, do you, what do you think, Chris? Yeah, I think so. Because let's face it, if, if, if you're a, a five out of 10 person, you know, five times out of 10, you get something right, or it's a tick in the box, or whatever it might be, then by definition, you're at an average level, and probably a, a job or a skill or whatever you're doing could be done by many other people or a computer or somebody in, in, in a smart emerging market or whatever it might be, the other options out there. In the investment world, some people think that um, oh yeah, we, we're not, we get nine out of 10 things right or 10 out of 10 things right. Anybody who's at those sorts of levels is lying, in my opinion, basically, because nobody is a nine, or nine out of 10 person, let alone a 10 out of 10 person. I see some investors who probably are eight out of 10 people, but even they are getting two things wrong out of every 10 and eight 
ticking the box correct or profitable or whatever they want to appraise it. And the majority of investors who are good, who have got professional careers and have done sensible things and good things, are six out of 10 or seven out of 10 people. So that means you have a big portion of things that you do get wrong. And you have to just accept that. So no matter how much your education or your hard work, your passion even, or everything, um, you are still going to make mistakes. And you have to just live with that. And that's, that's fine. Because every mistake that you make, you will learn something. And generally what you're doing is when you do make a mistake, you realize it a bit earlier than other, other people. You accept the fact that you unfortunately, something went wrong, something changed. You have to tick the box and move on type thing. Um, whilst I notice that people who are very uncomfortable with it, with accepting that they will make mistakes, who believe that they are a 10 out of 10 investor or just uh, embarrassed to admit they make a mistake, they're the people that ultimately struggle in, in a job or in life generally, because sometimes you just have to, you just have to accept that it wasn't your day, you made a mistake, you got it wrong, something happened, and you have to learn from it and accept it. And if you don't have that, then unfortunately, you're going to cause yourself a longer problem um, when you realise that, oh my goodness, you know, um, the people employing me no longer want to employ me, or I'm just super embarrassed about making mistakes, therefore I've got no confidence to actually go out there and, and have a job or, or do stuff in life. And, th and that's worrying. So except you can make mistakes, but always learn from it. And the thing is that way around, when you have that combination, that's a workable backdrop and you can progress your life career, confidence levels and, and everything else uh, over, that, over that period. And I think that's a great point you made, made about failure because I think we all have to accept failure will happen. Um, even if you start a new job or you have a new boss or, or whenever there's change. And I think it's just accepting that is always a possibility, but trying to pick it up as quickly as possible. And yeah, as you're saying, you, you can always learn something from any experience. And the skill is to learn that and hopefully not make that same mistake um, again. Uh, don't you think so, Chris? No, I think that's yeah. absolutely right. And you also have to admit that sometimes you are going to be wrong. So unfortunately, what it means is you're going to have to accept it. And in, in the investment world where I you know, have, have historically worked, as a consequence, it's, it's quite, you can see it quite, quite easily. You know, have you made profit on a trade or has it been loss making? Do you have to admit that you've mucked it up and it's a loss making trade? But the key is perhaps when a trade is down 10 or 20%, um, you know, you've gone from 100 pounds and now you've only got 80 or something, then it's time to move on. Whilst what you find is with people who are uncomfortable with that notion, they're always going to be eventually right. I'm going to be eventually right. Unfortunately, those positions that start off as losing 10 or 10%, they're the ones that end up losing 40, 50, 80, 99, 100% or whatever it might be. So sometimes you have to learn to move on and accept that you made a small mistake, but as you say, learn from it. And then next time, maybe it, it won't be so material. Maybe you, you would have learned something from that experience. That, that is life after all. We're all, all always learning. You know, no matter what your education is or your historic skill base or success level, tomorrow is a new day. Something different can happen. Things can change. But the more you learn from the past, from your past, from the past, and then combine those two things together into the future for yourself, the better, I would say. So, yeah, if, if as soon as you think you, you are, you are, you've skilled everything, you've learned everything, you know it all, you're a complete expert, 
that's when you've got to probably start to worry, I would say. Um, and certainly that's what I found that um, it's better to say, right, I, I've learned well here. I've learned a lot. It's been really great progress, really good insights. Let's try and learn something different. Let's try and go a bit broader, a bit deeper, whatever the different angle might be. That, that's the key. You've always got to find a new motivation for yourself. And that, that's certainly what I found. Every few years, it's like, okay, now I need to do something a little bit different. I can't keep on doing the same thing. I want to try and now learn something from that and move on to something else. And that, that's the key. Excellent. When you started, Chris, yeah, you initially graduated. The things were not great in the job market. And I think getting that first job, there are probably a lot of people out there in a similar situation where you just need that first break. Uh, what sort of strategies did you use to get that first job? Or w- was it just luck like a lot of people? There was undoubtedly a little bit of luck in there. But what I did essentially, I mean, this was obviously back in about 25 years ago. So the world was a little bit different back then. But but what I did was I I wanted to work for an investment company. I knew that. And so there was some, uh, one of the regulators had a list of investment companies, A to Z. So I had a very simple strategy. I started off with the ones starting with an A and I wrote them all a letter. We used to do letters back then, you know, it's emails nowadays, right? And I sent them all a letter and said, hi, I've just graduated from my postgrad. I've got, you know, great marks. I've got lots of passion and interest in the area. You know, give me a job, basically. Give me an opportunity. <laughs> what I can do for you. None of the A's replied. Well, none of the initial A's replied. And I was just about to start the B's. But I got a, um, a letter or a phone call. I forget what it was. I think it was a letter back from a company beginning AR. And um, they said, you know, we're, we're interested. You know, come and have a chat with us. And that was a purely good luck. Because they, at the same time as I was sending out my letter, they were putting out an advert in, I forget which newspaper it was now, the, uh, the Evening Standard, I think it was, in London. Um, and so they thought I'd seen it there because my letter had arrived kind of at a perfect timing for their advert as well, which was actually incorrect, as I, as I told them. But so that was my bit of luck. So I got in there, was one of the first people to be, to be asked um, for an interview. And yeah, they, I guess they must have liked what they saw. So that was my bit of luck. I guess in today's world, the equivalent story is, yes, you've got to maybe um, push out a lot of applications, a lot of just, and these weren't people often asking for jobs or looking for people. These were just companies existing in that area. Um, So sometimes you just just got to say, right, I see we've got 10 companies here who are in the area that I want to work in. Just write to them. What, What can you lose? You can't lose anything to them. And in today's world, you don't even need to buy a stamp. You can put it on your... On, on, on an email or something, cost you absolutely zero. And, but the skill is, of course, it's not just a flash out in 10 minutes. You've got to think about it a bit. A, a nice CV, some extra thoughts, some rationales, uh, why you want to be in that area, why you could offer a lot to this company and see what happens. If you don't bet, you never know. You never know what might happen. I'm just glad you didn't have to get down to a zebra consulting firm or zebra investment firm absolutely but if you're passionate about if you and i wanted to you know i'd I'd somehow got myself through this postgraduate course and you know again that was a very fortunate thing to do Uh, and i've got to that point where i really wanted a a job in the space and because i didn't have the contacts or the background or whatever else if any of that had mattered um, i thought right we're gonna have to do it old school we'll just start writing to people 
Um, and, it, and it works. So I would say to people, everyone in the same sort of broad situation today, do exactly the same thing, but probably don't write letters nowadays, send emails. But I, I think that's a great point you make, Chris, about just uh, being persistent. But I think another, on top of that nowadays, you can actually start creating um, a, a personal brand. Uh, you, know, you can write articles, uh, post stuff on LinkedIn, create small videos. And I think um, yeah, which you can do it at very little you know, to no cost. And I think the great thing about that is that even before you uh, send out the CV or you contact somebody, then they, they may have heard of you. Or if you do get invited for an interview, they'll be able to look on your LinkedIn, look on your YouTube channel and see, okay, what is this, um, this guy or girl? What have they done? Do they sound credible? And, and you're almost creating this perception of something even before you've physically met the person. So I think there's this, even though I think there's a much more competition from you know, back in, in the day, I think there's this added advantage of creating content, which I think is very powerful in, in connecting with potential employers. Yeah, no, I would completely agree with that. I mean, I guess 20, 30 years ago, it was the equivalent of, having some kind of interest. I, I still remember probably 15 years ago, it must have been now, I was um, working for a company and we were looking to hire some new people. And I remember being part of the interview uh, sort of schedule and, and people, you know, coming in and um, saying various things. And the question I always used to ask them because they wanted to work in the investment industry, I would say, so uh, tell me, what, 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 what would you buy at the moment? What, what share would you buy at the moment? Just interested, really, because it's a great open question for them to respond to. And I still can't believe so many said, I don't know. Um, that's <laughs> I don't why invest. I'm the company because I'll learn it. <laughs> I'll learn it here. Completely the wrong answer. You know, what people have got to say is they've got to have some idea, uh, some view, some opinion, because the thing is, yes, it might not be um, a fully justified or, or rational position, that's fair enough. That there are somebody starting in a career, you don't expect them to have all of the answers, but you expect to start seeing that passion, that interest, that enthusiasm, hopefully something they've learned at university at some level too. Put all of that together, and you've got a credible person. And I remember sometimes um, I'd, I'd be in these interviews and people would be saying, yeah, you know, I want to join this company in order to learn what to buy you know, that was an immediate, no, thank you. <laughs> I'd rather have the, the person who perhaps is a bit nervous or a bit, doesn't say it in perhaps a fluid fashion, didn't go to the, the right schools, whatever they may be, not there are any, et cetera, et cetera. But have that, you know, passion, have that interest, so much more useful for any business than somebody who's been to the top university, the yeah. top school has triple A's and God knows what else. Far more important to see the passion and the interest than all of that headline stuff which you think is important because that's what really matters in, in in the business world yeah i think it's really about having that inquiring mind um wanting to delve deep and, and not just look at the, the superficial surface things thinking about those sort of second order uh effects of, of um news in the market but w one thing I, w I wanted to touch on chris is that um you, you worked in a hedge fund and i think um for many people that's a very glamorous um, job to have. Would you be able to give us a few insights? That, that's right. So back in, uh, you're right, I spent the first 10 years of my career in the, in the hedge fund area. 
First, I was extremely lucky because my first job was actually interviewing hedge fund managers and then trying to work out whether the hedge funds were interesting or not to, to invest into. Now, that seemed a bit of a strange job because, you know, I wanted to be an investment person myself, but there wasn't that opportunity out there at the time. So it was a bit of luck to be in this area first because I learned so much. Because having to actually interview somebody who is already an expert, and you're in your early 20s and they're in their, whatever it would have been, 30s, 40s, 50s, I forget now, a whole range of experienced, insightful people. And you had to actually ask them questions to try to work out whether what they were saying was reasonable, whether their fund was interesting or not. It was a great learning curve. Because two things happened to me when I was in, in that initial hedge fund opportunity. The first was that because I came from a very ordinary background, I hadn't even been on a plane before. <laughs> that this is, you know, typical in the sort of the 80s yeah, and of not, course, yeah. yeah. jump on planes to go on holiday or anything. It didn't happen like that. Yeah. So my boss said, right, I want you to go to New York because that's where all the hedge funds are at the moment and check them out. Hmm. Um, the ones that we own already or the ones that we might own, et cetera, et cetera. So, yeah, I did. I went on a plane for the first time. Anyway, I got there and I was interviewing uh, this quite experienced, quite high profile fund manager. And he said to me, you ask some smart questions for a guy age 30. And I was thinking, wow, I was at the at time I was, I think, 23. <laughs> and I always remember that because it was like um, he obviously couldn't. How can you tell how old somebody is? But all you can sort of say is if they're asking yeah. quite smart questions, they must have had a few years of experience, had a bit of, they've, they've built some insight from somewhere. And I thought to myself, wow. And the only reason I'm, I'm actually in this position is because I've met, you know, the, the 50 different people I've met before that point. Of course, you learn something from yeah. it. And when it, that's why it was a lucky job, that first one. I was very fortunate to be doing that. But of course, what I wanted to do was really enter the actual fund management industry within the hedge fund zone. And that was my second opportunity. Um, I passed all my exams by that point. Um, um, CFAs are they are now, they, I'm so old, they weren't, they weren't, they weren't, they, they weren't called that back then. Um, but I passed all those exams and then had the opportunity to join a, a London-based hedge fund managing uh, or investing across not just the UK, but across Europe as well. And that was fascinating because to go from um, the opportunity to speak with hedge fund managers to then to actually be in a hedge fund, a hedge fund group, initially just be a trainee um, sort of analyst and everything else, learning from experts and whatever. And then over the next few years, just building up your, your insight and everything else and ultimately becoming a, a co-portfolio manager was, was, it was an amazing insight, really. I learned so much from it. And when I think back to it today, there is no doubt that, and it's, I think it's the same for most people in, in their careers. The first five to 10 years is super important because you, you learn so much from it. And it's not just on the, from the business per se, it's from the personalities, from how you interact with people, how you interview somebody, how you uh, appraise something, you know, those multiple aspects of business, which isn't just the business that you're working in, but business within the broader business world and related. You're just growing up as a person really at many levels. And that was to, to live to, the first 10 years of my investment career in that space. That was, that was absolutely amazing. And what I learned ultimately was that I got to the point where I realized 
it's time to just evolve things a little bit. And, and that's actually something which, I don't know whether it's right or wrong, but it certainly works well with me. And that is every circa 10 years to just completely change everything. Not, not absolutely, because there's always gonna be some element which is akin to what you previously have been doing. But then to say, right, I've, I've learned an awful lot here, but actually I want to broaden my range of insights. And then I want to do something a little bit different rather than just, I could have just hung around there for, I guess, for another 10 years if I'd wished, but I wanted to do something a bit different. And I want to actually then manage um, actual funds myself. And that's when I got the opportunity then to move into the broader fund management industry to do something similar, but, but wholly different. Um, and, and that was something I did after, after about 10 years in the investment world. So, so actually sort of moving on to that, you were sort of head of direct uh, global investments at, at an investment management firm where you're managing around £1.6 billion uh, pounds of, uh, of capital. Um, what, what was that like? And, and did you find that quite stressful? And how, how did you cope, Chris? The way I coped, I think, was because I, I just took it one stage at a time. Initially, when I joined that part, uh, that area of the business, it was actually because I was a, a European expert, because in my hedge fund days, I'd done the UK and continental Europe. And that was a bit different from many people. Many people were UK fund managers. They were good at that, but not good at anything foreign, as, as they would perceive it. But I was already a bit internationally um, oriented. So I initially did a, a pan-European fund. I said, well, I, you know, I've been building up knowledge about America. Can we do now America? And then I said the same thing about Asia. And so to me, it was just every year I seemed to be adding a different geography. And so after about three years or so, I had built up the capability to look at stuff globally. So that was just me trying to learn more and become more insightful about matters and related. And then ultimately it went from a 300 million fund to actually say it was about 1.6 billion, just with accruing new opportunities and a need for experiences and, and related. Did I find that stressful? Not at all, because I'm doing my passion, what I was excited about. And even though there were periods of time when the performance wasn't as good, and other periods of time where the performance was wonderful, you lived and learned with that. You know, you can't have everything where um, I seem to react quite quite well or okay when things were challenging because I was thinking, well, okay, as we've talked about already, it's not about what's happening today. It's about what you're hoping to achieve over the next three to nine months. And trying to focus on that meant that even if the positions weren't working today, my anticipation was that they'd be working tomorrow or next month or next year. And as most investors should be, in any case, medium term oriented, that, that kind of always worked out absolutely fine. But after again, it's, it's, it's clearly something with me. After that circa 10 year period, I've gone through initially being a pan-European manager, adding America, adding Asia, and then so going truly global, they're not just doing that, but then ultimately, as you say, managing a team, managing a significant sum of money and related. I'd got to the point where it was like, my goodness, from the age of when I was watching breakfast TV, age 13 or something like that, when I wanted to be, be a, one of these fund manager people, I, I'd, I'd done it, I'd achieved it. I'd done everything broadly I'd, I'd wanted to do. And, and I looked at myself and I thought, I remember when it was, it was actually during the Christmas holiday, because it's quite a quiet period. You're thinking, okay, what have I done well this year? What, what am I aiming to do next year? 
And I suddenly thought, my goodness, I'm actually gonna need to think, what is the net? I can't just keep on doing just this. I want to try, try and do something slightly different, slightly broaden the range. And I spoke with a few people, particularly actually people who were 10 or 15 years older than me and said, well, what are you thinking? Uh, what, what, are you, what are you driven by? What are you excited by? And my overriding thought was that, oh my goodness, every one of these people 10, 15 years older than me, they were just sitting up, they were just stepping up each day just to pick up the check. And I thought to myself, hang on, I don't want to just be somebody who is going to be just stepping in to pick up the check. And so I did something which I think may, maybe many people don't do um, formally, is I just walked in one day and went to see the boss and I said, right, um, yeah, I'd, I'd like to, I'm going to resign. But they thought it was because I was joining another job or something <laughs> like that. And I said, well, actually, it, it, it isn't. And they said, well, what are you going to do next? I said, well, I'm going to do my own thing. Um, and, and to be honest, I didn't really have a plan even then. And even though, yes, you're absolutely right, I did then forge my own firm. Um, I didn't have that even on my mind. All I knew was I wanted to do something a little bit similar, but different. And that's just me, I think. Every 10 years, I just want to have a little bit of an evolution. And actually, it's the best thing I could have done. From a purely financial point of view, when I look back on it, because obviously this happened, what now, eight, eight plus years yeah. ago. When I look back on it, it would have been financially superior just to sit there, just to sit there and pick up the check. Because I guess when we look at, you know, financial markets have generally performed quite well over the last eight plus years, that would have been supportive for a decent paycheck and everything else. But I would have been bored. I, I know it, I can see it overtly now that I would have been in that old job no matter how exciting and motivational it was during much of that previous 10 year period, I'd got to the point where I needed a new challenge. And I can tell you that would have been times by three or 10 times by you know, another five, eight years down the track. So no regrets on that front. And as I said earlier, money per se, I wasn't born into money. So guess what, it's not a big motivation. And I know that many people say, well, you can say that because you own a house and whatever else. And, and maybe that there's some truth in that. But honestly, it's never been the big motivation for me. So I'm not fussed about that angle because I could have earned more money staying in the investment, conventional investment industry. But I needed a new challenge. I'm kind of eight years into my financial orbit um, sort of angle. We can talk about that if you, if you wish a bit later, which has been truly fascinating and interesting and everything else. Am I feeling that this sort of 10 year, do I need a new challenge? A little bit, yeah, but that's good. You always want to be, you know, I'm, I'm 47 now, so I'm not that old, but you know, I want to have new experiences and new insights and new opportunities because ultimately that is, that's what makes me happy. And I want it no other way, frankly. Well, first thing, Chris, you're, you're looking well, so that, that, that's good. But I, I think that the more serious point is, and, and what I really love about your story is that yeah, for what you've done, you're, you're a very modest chap because to, to get to the position you got into, that's you know, very, very senior. You're in charge of you know, huge amounts of money. So that would have been you know, very well remunerated. So there's a paycheck, but there's a very big paycheck as well. Um, and, and I totally agree with you, money isn't the motivation uh, for, for a lot of people. But on the other hand, I think there are some people who get forced out of finance because 
you know, there are mergers or um, you know, things happen or their performance isn't very good. But for somebody like yourself who actually consciously made the decision to leave and walk away from all that money, I think that's um, a very brave and you know, creditable thing to do because I think you, you looked at uh, the future and you thought, look, I'm, I'm just not going to be enthused. And in a way, I think if you're in that position, you don't want to then make a mistake because, or a, a huge mistake, and then you undo a lot of the good work that you've built up over time. So I think, you know, whatever you're doing, if you just, if you're not fully committed, then the chances that something could go wrong uh, do increase. So maybe in a, in a way, it is better to find another gig like yourself. And and, and actually, I was going to ask, how do you find life as an entrepreneur uh what you know doing the financial orbit thing yeah no i mean it's been it's been a busy last eight years no doubt about that but have i number one have i learned an awful lot of extra stuff that i hadn't previously earned absolutely and that's so for a myriad of reasons that that's partly different places i visited or different opportunities that i've had or sometimes opportunities that i've already achieved but in a different way and had to have done different things. And that, that's the useful part of it. Have I learned a lot? Absolutely. Um, would I say to you, it's the sort of the, the preferred profile for many people? Maybe not. Maybe some other people have got some different views, but I'm sure there are people out there who do like change and do like um, different opportunities and do like to learn something new. And I would say that's a, that's a good position to be in. That's something to, to not be scared about, but to actually embrace and try and run with. Because I think that it's it's far better to exit stage left, actually, when the crowd is asking for more. And I was sort of at that point in a way. I can't really say sort of certain names, but yeah, of course, to me, they, they said basically, "So what's your price? I need to stay." And it was like, I don't think you quite get this. Um, this is nothing to do with money, because I guess some people that's them. That's how they. Get a better deal, you know. Say, well, you know, I'm thinking about changing. <laughs> Probably 99% of people that would have been what they were getting at. <laughs> but the thing was, is that I actually felt it was funny when I got to the other side, and when I eventually I set up my own company. And even 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 the name Financial Orbit is is a is a joke at a certain level, but in the sense that there was no plan, no no clients, no revenue. But actually, I felt super excited. I can now go and look at some different angles and go and see different places, go and do different things. And that's been, to me, the great insight. And of course, the inevitable question is this. OK, so it's been eight years. So what are you going to tell us? Are you going to tell us that then in some point in the next two years, you're going to do exactly the same thing <laughs> and do something different? And the honest answer is quite possibly. You know, and that, that's exciting for me because ultimately, will I ever become bored of the investment world? No, I, I can imagine myself double my current age and still fiddling around with some thoughts about, about the investment world because that, that's always part of my life. Well, how old is Warren Buffett and Charlie Munger? Well, are they... That's it. You know, yeah. you look at their, their passion, their interest, their enthusiasm, their performance as well for them. They're, they're complete geniuses. But... The, the key point for them is the passion. If we had them here on this call, I'm sure that's what they'd be talking about. They're still learning new stuff. But here's the thing with change. You probably always want about 50% of your life or your area of operation to be sort of akin, 
there's got to be some similarities. But then the other 50% is the change element. And that's what I like. And certainly over the last eight years, as I said, it's been stylistic, geographic, um, opportunistic, a, a lot of different things have been quite different from what it would have been working for a bigger company doing a football fund management job. And that's been great. Are there other things that interest me? Of course there are. I'd be worried if there wasn't, frankly. I'm already thinking, okay, so what is the next, the next 10 years going to bring? And that excites me. It doesn't worry me. I know some people worry, my goodness, I'm getting older, I'm getting this challenge, that challenge. And sure, there's always challenges out there, but you've got to be always excited about life. And that's the main and underlying key thing you've always got to have, irrespective of whether you've been, you, you would perceive successful or not quite hitting what, what, what your teachers or your postgraduates would have, would have hoped for, whatever else it might have been. It, it's just a question of keeping on pushing yourself and keeping on trying to learn, really. Chris, I, I just love this. I feel completely fired up now. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to start looking for more opportunities. Well, this, this is just amazing. <laughs> life, is, life is evolution, isn't it? In yeah, totally. We, are, we, we learn stuff all the time. And um, it's funny. Um, as, 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 as you know, Harsha, I, I, was, I was a little ill. I, I unfortunately fell a little ill um, just under a year ago. And something which I couldn't have predicted um, it, it was just one of those things which the doctors tell me, unfortunately, nobody knew it, but actually they can see in hindsight it was going to happen at some point. And sadly for me, it happened just under a year ago as we speak. But it's funny because when I was speaking with the doctors, the other side of it, when actually I was back able to, to speak and talk to them and everything else, they said something actually very similar to what we've been talking about. Clearly, the geniuses here are the doctors because what they did was completely amazing. Um, so, you know, absolutely huge. Um, it, was, it, was, it was a huge thrill to speak with them at length. But, but the thing what we talked about, because they were trying to work out, well, you were so optimistic, and yet it's been a bit tough for you. And I said, well, what other way can you live life? You know, you did a fantastic job. My family did, were wonderful in terms of the supportive nature of when I was unconscious and everything else. But the other side, when it then I came back into consciousness, I then had to speak and behave sort of more akin, more normally to what I previously would have been at. That was up to me. And, and I felt, I don't know, the doctors were trying to ask me, so why is, you're, it's wonderful that you're, the, the operate everything works and everything's good and you're really optimistic but this is this is this is from this is interesting that, that they they wanted to sort of appraise of what was driving this and we came to the conclusion that this this optimism that i had just enthusiasm interest whatever else it's not driven by money it's certainly driven by wanting to see my family and, and spend time with them and everything else. But it's also something within me, something which sort of starts to work a bit when, when there's a challenge. And that challenge might be in, in business, at work, whatever else it might be. In that case, it was slightly more health-centered. But it's funny, when I look back at it now, when I think about it, and I'm still thinking about it myself, I think, I, I think wow, I don't know how all that happened. But what I do know is, thank goodness I have this huge enthusiasm still, because I'd be really worried if, I, if I'd ever lost that aspect. And maybe it helped 
bring everything back to sort of the kind of the, the normal life that I've I've been thoughtfully used to living in the previous you know 46 years or something so that that was interesting for me but it certainly also said to me that it's okay to to keep evolving your life as well and even though there weren't reasons for the challenges or whatever it's something I couldn't have predicted I can at least going forward do things which minimize the chances of of that mark too but also making sure that I fully enjoy life you know even more than I historically have done or or, or did do um, and that's because you've always got to react to new challenges and new new issues and everything else so yeah it's been an interesting it's been an interesting last 25 plus years it's been a particularly interesting last year but but that's good you know I'd, I'd have it no other way at a certain strange level I probably do without the, the illness <laughs> illness or whatever probably pre prefer that but now with the other side of it I'm like well all right you know stuff happens sometimes yeah. it's how you how you respond that matters and, and that's true about everything in, in life generally, be it business life, be it family life, be it whatever it might be. So I'd have it no other way. Uh, one question I was going to ask, Chris, is when, when's your book coming out? Because I'm, I'm really looking forward to reading it. And now it's going to be even more interesting with this yeah. last year in there as well. That's right. So my, my book was due, my plan was to finish my book for the end of, end of last year, end of 2020 and then have it available in, I guess, early 2021. But as you say, unfortunately, because of events, that's got pushed back. And uh, now it's going to be the same plan, but just a year in advance, a year, a year later. So really, it's um, pulling it all together at the end of this year. I've been working on it for, for a while, um, over recent months as well. And then, and then pull it, push it out there in 2022. So yes, and it's something which... You're right. I've been wanting to, to put together for a while and it obviously reflects some of the matters that we've discussed, the history, my life in the investment industry, other motivational issues and whatever. But you're absolutely correct. Have, have my thoughts changed? Not so much that there will be particularly loads of talk about me being a bit ill and stuff yeah. like that, because frankly, thank goodness I'm a bit more the other side of that now. But moreover, it's made me think different stuff about life, about the investment world inevitably, but, but generally motivational issues and, and, and related matters. And actually, I think it's made it a better book. It may have delayed it slightly, but I'm actually, I'm really quite excited about some of the content, not because I think it's a marvelous book or anything like that, but it, it's something I just always wanted to do. And so it's like anything with me, because I want to do it, then I want to do it. It's as simple as that. And even though it might not be particularly fantastic or insightful or anything else, it's just good to try and achieve something that you always did want to achieve. For me, that used to be wanting to become a fund manager or before that, I guess, um, passing my A-level economics or, you know, attending a postgraduate, you know, achieving a postgraduate degree or whatever else it might have been. Um, but now it's trying to finish that book because I feel as if I'm learning something from writing it, as weird as that may sound, but, but that's how it feels to me. I think that's a great point, Chris, because... Um, I, I, I don't know whether I've told you, but I'm also trying to write a book as well. And I think there, there's some interesting aspects which come out of that process. Firstly, uh, you know, writing is not easy. It's much easier to do a podcast or record a video. But I think writing is just generally a lot harder. 
because even if you do a draft, you have to keep going over it and you really want to be satisfied. I'm, I'm not saying you don't have to with a podcast or a YouTube channel, but there is just something, I think, next order about writing something. And then when you're writing a book, it's just that much harder. And, and also, unless you're quite narcissistic, nobody really thinks their life is actually that interesting. But, you know, I'm sure our listeners listening to what you've talked about in your career, they'll think, wow, this is really fascinating. But obviously, you yourself don't think that. Um, so I think, you know, I'm, I'm really looking forward to seeing the finished article. And hopefully uh, you can give us an update at, you know, when, it, when it does come out and we'll definitely uh, promote it. But and I, I'll definitely buy a copy. So <laughs> you don't have to send me a... A, a yeah. promo copy. Oh, I'll actually buy it. So. Absolutely. No, but it's it's like anything, books or anything in terms of trying to achieve and, and, and do stuff. It's just, it's great to be feel motivated, great to try to do something. And honestly, it, it doesn't matter whether something's fantastic or, or not. What matters more is just achieving something. And responding to all those challenges and actually ultimately achieving it. And that's true at, when you're at A-levels or university or getting a job, getting a promotion, family life at multiple levels, whatever it might be. It, it's about trying to achieve your dream. And it doesn't matter if you're the best or the best paid or whatever, that's all completely irrelevant. What matters more is you've achieved something. You've actually, something that makes you happy, makes you feel a bit proud, probably no doubt your family are feeling the same way. Wow, you know, that's really great, you know, if they've done that. And, and that's the key thing. It doesn't matter if the world overall completely ignores it or it's irrelevant or whatever else, because let's face it, a few of us are as on the great, aren't we, after all? Um, but, but the reality is, is that it, it's good for your motivation. And I come back to this point that Motivation is so important. You've got to feel excited. If, you, if you're just getting up in the morning and it's all about earning your whatever it might be at the end of the week, month, quarter, whatever it is, after a while, you're going to get bored by that. And then, unfortunately, it is a competitive world out there. And part of that means that you need to be not just competitive yourself, but enthusiastic yourself and, and still embracing those, those changes and evolutions. And that changes over time. And, but that, that's a good thing, not a bad thing. I'd much rather be doing something a bit different every five or 10 years than doing the same thing and feeling sort of extremely bored about it. And I've seen that so many times in, in not just the investment area, but across many things where people are not motivated in what they're doing. At least, thank goodness, I'm, I'm still feeling, as, as is coming across here, you know, weirdly enthusiastic about all of this because it does excite me. I, I do honestly still get up very early in the morning because not because I need to, because I, I, I like it. I like that, that buzz of being up early, looking at new news and new insights and whatever else that excites me. At least though I'm trying to sleep a bit more now. So, you know, there is, you do learn a little bit after a while, after a few years that, yeah, maybe you just got to be a bit more sensible at a couple of levels. But that's fine. But still having that passion, that interest, that enthusiasm, um, I, I have it no other one. And I, and I think that great thing about content creation is that you're just connecting with people, and especially with the internet, 
uh, people are always looking for content and especially good content and relevant content. And, you know, you could publish something now, now which somebody could read in a couple of years time or, or in a year's time, whatever it is, but it's just building those connections up. And I, I always get so happy when somebody sort of drops a note or says, you know, well done or uh, because it, it, I don't think people are looking necessarily for validation, but I think it's quite nice when people think, okay, this is something that was quite well done to some extent. No, absolutely. It's about trying to interact and, 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 and learn because frankly, and I will honestly admit this, you learn a lot from other, everyone learns a lot from other people because that's the way it is. You're not going to have all the answers yourself. Some you do, do, do come from your internal musing about something. Yeah. A lot of stuff is because you've interacted with somebody else, you've read something somewhere, you've heard it on the TV, whatever it might be. But then you've got your spin on it, your take on it, your, because you can, uh, there's some big, big bit of news that everybody knows, but you've got a slightly different angle because you've got some different experiences. And, and that's where this interaction element becomes interesting. So that it's both, internal expansion stuff, but also learning stuff as well. That's, that's super important. No, totally. And, and just in terms of um, getting back to sort of the theme of the podcast, um, obviously it's a careers podcast. W- are there any particular bits of advice or tips or strategies that we, you would give to somebody who's looking to either forge a career in finance or trying to uh, be uh, progress in their career in finance? Because obviously you've done some great things with your career, Chris. Yeah, I would say it comes back to something we talked about a little earlier, which was show some real interest yourself. It's not so much, yes, it's good to have got certain degree courses or whatever else, that's always nice. But even better is to say, look, I've been trying to do some investment myself. Or I've been I've been writing I've written this article about a particular company I like or something about the economy or whatever else it might be. There are so many sources out there for of interesting insights, which then you can take in, into account and put it into your own spin, your own take of, of of upcoming news or whatever it might be. So I would say to people, show your passion. You know, it's not just. I'm trying to, you know, because I've got a, a certain type of degree or whatever, that it's, it's a gimme I'm going to get a job in finance. It's a lot harder than that. You've got to show that, that passion. You've got to show that ability to interact correctly with people, with clients or potential clients. You've got to learn to be able to talk and to give a presentation, um, to actually have a CV which looks interesting. It's not just a lot of slightly boring stuff about what you have been doing. It's yeah. interesting things about what inside what, what drives you what motivates you what's, what's got you excited why do you want to be in this this position and believe me if if you're asking about how much money this this job earns then that's probably the immediate again no question worry about that angle later on you know initially you've got to get through those early stages of does this company are they going to be excited by me is there is there a future because you're not the finished article nobody ever is when they when they join a company um, it's all about do you have the potential to really improve and become that really useful person for them, interacting with their clients, bringing new business for them, whatever element it might be. So I would say, yeah, show your passion. Don't be scared about it. Um, if it was all about what degree courses you've done or this, that or the other, that's not going to be enough. We've, you know, sadly, most people have done elements of that. 
it's how you write up those other bits that, that talk about you as an individual or give examples of what you can start to offer people um, that, that, that makes so much more uh, impact on it. And I think that's a great point about adding value because I think there are always things that we can do to add value to some extent. You can be enthusiastic, you can be keen, you can offer to do the thing, you know, if you start a job, offer to do the things that other people aren't doing. Because even if it seems mundane and boring, there's always stuff that you can learn from uh, any, any task. Um, and I think it's just showing that willingness to um, yeah, make go that extra mile to, to an extent. Don't, don't you think so, Chris? Yeah, no, I, I think that's absolutely right. And you've got to always be um, be, 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 be excited, be, be somebody who can add something, not just grow themselves, but also do something which ultimately um, can add more to that business. Because ultimately, you, you've just got to show not just what you can, you, you, can, you can do yourself, but also what you can add for a company. That, that's the key. Because don't forget, for any job, it's not... Um, just having that ability to be somebody you can turn up, but actually somebody you can really add value to be to a client base, to a, uh, their customers, to their profit profile, whatever it might be, to just living well and interacting positively with, 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 other, with other people within their business. So, yeah, there's, there's many things to do. It's not just you've achieved a certain university degree, so therefore you must get that job. I wish it was that easy, but sadly in today's world it isn't. That's a brilliant point. And Chris, I, our time is, is coming to a close and it, it's really been fascinating talking with you and, and just love the, firstly, the enthusiasm you have. Um, and, and it's funny, it just, it fires me up to go and look at my own, yeah, do, do some way more, more investing. But I think that really comes out from, from what, what you said. So obviously, Chris, I will include all your uh, contact details in the show notes um, and the details about financial orbit um, and anything else you want me to include. Uh, in terms of the book, do you have a, a publication date at this stage or is it still to be decided? So it's still to be decided, but the aim is still, uh, as per the original aim, which was sure. to finish it by the end of the year and then for it to be uh, to come out uh, during the first quarter of, of, of next year. So that's still the plan. Okay, and, and do do you have a title, Chris? Or there is there is, there is a there is a working title, but but no. Again, titles are the hardest thing ever. I must admit, it, it's it's easier to write the book than do the title. I mean, that may seem bizarre, but believe me, it is. I would worry again if it was you've got the title already, but no book. I'd rather have it the other way around. <laughs> so um, I've got a few ideas, but it's like anything. I reckon it's gonna the title's gonna come out when or work out within me when actually I've. I've just been writing something else and it will just miraculously appear like some bit of luck or something. But what I quite like about your articles, Chris, is that you do come up with some quite amusing puns and takes on things. And, and also for our listeners, Chris is quite a keen film fan as well. So are there going to be any film references in there, Chris? Yes, there's always, there'll be lots of references to, it's often actually films, absolutely, but also there's references to musicians and, and it's strange again at certain times of, of the career certain styles or whatever people who or groups that have become particularly relevant it feels there's always a whenever i write an article there is there is tend, tend to be a joke in there somewhere uh, which actually is only known if you know the song or the group or whatever it might be there's like a double level joke it's just one of those things that i i, I enjoy doing where there's a slight there's an inner joke in there as well 
I'd have yeah, I, I, I always do like that about your articles, Chris. There is something sort of lurking beneath the surface, either some 80s, 90s or noughties reference going on yeah, film yeah. culturally or, or whatever. That's right. Yeah, no, because, again, I have it no other way because that, that stuff which interests me and makes me feel enthusiastic and optimistic. And if it was, again, an article about the economy or a company or a sector or whatever else it might be, that's fine. You want to make it a bit more enjoyable, interesting, relevant, linked to other stuff, makes you think about, oh, hang on, please think about this or think about that or whatever else it might be. And yeah, I, I have it no other way because otherwise it would be boring for me to write as well. <laughs> and finally, Chris, do you want to give a, a shout out to anybody, um, family, friends, um, a- anybody who's helped you on your journey? Or Well, I, I would say... The, the people I'd like to give a shout out to would be uh, the John Radcliffe Hospital in, in Oxford, because without them, we, we would not be having this, this conversation, sadly. It, it's actually, as I said earlier, I, I've learned actually a lot speaking with them, because even though they want to, they want to always ask me about stuff, I'm actually learning from them. That, that world is very different from my normal orientation of financial sector stuff. As I said earlier, I've come back to realise that the world of doctors, nurses, people in the healthcare profession they are the true geniuses you know the finance world is a bit of interest a bit of um, enthusiasm at at multiple levels but in terms of the real thing that matter in life yeah multiple hospitals um, around both this country and of course many countries but but particularly the the John Radcliffe Hospital I have to say truly amazed by what they've been doing that's a great way to end and Chris it's really been a pleasure thank you so much for giving up your your valuable time to speak um with myself and and our our listeners and um yeah I I look forward to your uh continued recovery uh well I'm glad to see that you're looking so well really looking forward to uh reading the book you know uh, can't wait for it to come out anyway thanks once again Chris and uh have a great rest of the day thanks so much Harsha Take care. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for listening and staying to the end. That was such an enjoyable interview. If you would like to listen to more episodes, then please consider subscribing to the podcast, which is available on your favorite providers and subscription is free. If you wish to learn more about any of the resources mentioned in this episode, please take a look at the show notes, which are available online. Thanks once again for listening. Stay safe and look after yourself. I hope you will join me again in the future.